continuing our series here on counterculture living, living God's way in a godless society. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read here verses 9 through 12. Already up to this point, we have gone over six of the Beatitudes. In fact, this this section here from verses 3 through 12 of Matthew 5 is known as the Beatitudes. Some have said there's nine Beatitudes. You might take verses 10 through 12 and split it up, but I really consider it as one. So there's a total, I believe, of eight Beatitude statements that are given to us. And I want to look at these and uh, these last two here in verses 9 and then 10 through 12. So let me begin reading here. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9. The Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's go ahead and pray together. I'm going to share this morning blessings come to those with the right actions. Father, I just ask for your guidance upon this time. Please use what is spoken here today to touch hearts. We care nothing about what man says, but we truly desire what you say. And so today I stand here just as a conduit, a vessel. I want to be fit for the master's use. And I just ask, Lord, that you'd help me to stand behind the cross and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to shine forth. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been saved for any period of time, you may be familiar with the name Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a passionate evangelist. He was a devoted husband and father, but one whose life really was ended far too early because he was martyred at the age of 29 years old. From an early age, Elliot was motivated, Jim Elliot that is, was motivated by the examples of some wonderful missionaries before him, David Brainerd, William Carey, and Amy Carmichael. Resolved to commit his life to a life of evangelism and international mission work, Jim Elliot attended Wheaton College to study linguistics. It was there that he would meet a beautiful young lady by the name of Elizabeth Howard, the lady who would become later his wife. They were equally devoted to God, and their short time together as a couple on earth would be shining examples of what it would be to follow Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Before getting married, Jim Elliott and another missionary associate by the name of Peter Fleming actually arrived in Ecuador on February 21st, 1952 with the purpose of evangelizing Ecuador's Quechua Indians. They first stayed in Quito and then moved to the jungle. They took up residence at a mission house, a station known as Shandy, a mission station. A year and a half later, on October 8th, 1953, Jim married Elizabeth And they together took a brief honeymoon to Panama and Costa Rica and then went back to Ecuador. 
Their only child, Valerie, was born February 27, 1955. And while working with the Quechua Indians, Elliot began preparing to reach the Huarani tribe, a relatively isolated indigenous group that was inhabiting the eastern Amazon region of Ecuador. So Elliot and four other missionaries began pulling their plans together. This was Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Peter Fleming, and their pilot by the name of Nate Saint. They all began making contact with the Huarani tribe by flying over, using a loudspeaker and speaking to them, and then dropping a basket down and giving some gifts. After several months, thinking that things were going very well, the men decided to build a base a short distance from the Indian village, right along the Curere River. They were approached one time by a small group of this Huarani Indians, and they even gave an airplane ride to one curious Huarani member whom they called George. His name actually was Ninkui. Encouraged by these friendly encounters, they began plans to now visit this particular tribe, but little did they know that that man who they called George had come back to the tribe and told the rest of the tribe that these men had evil intentions. So when they got there, they found out that these men were after their life, and all four of these missionaries were killed on January 8, 1956. Elliot's body, along with the other four, were floating down the river downstream. Several years ago, words were written in Jim Elliot's book by Jim himself, 1949 to be exact, and maybe you've heard this phrase. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, honestly, there's a lot of people that would think to themselves about a young man in his late 20s giving his life for the sake of the gospel and say, you're crazy. I mean, look, if you took a good business job in America and you just kind of lived the life of luxury here in the United States, things would be better suited for you. But I'm telling you something. These missionaries sparked a zeal amongst Christians. Those of you maybe who are here today and were younger at that time and may remember this as young people understood that there was a great call for people to follow the Lord in missions and in the ministry. And these missionaries who gave of their life were such a testimony to all of us and down to this very day That even though the world, and yes, even Christians, are fragmented, it ought to be the action of every believer, like those four missionaries killed in 1956, to be a life that is seeking peace amongst God's people. This world that's no friend of grace and persecuted the Lord Jesus when He lived here on this earth, we have to realize will also persecute us. Today I want to talk about these two last Beatitudes that are given to us and give you, first of all, verse number 9, those who are peacemakers 
show their true relationship to Christ. Those who are peacemakers show their true relationship to Christ. I want you to notice as you look at verse number 9, and as we begin to just think about this aspect of Scripture, first of all, understand that there are certain principles of peacemaking. The idea of peacemaking is this, is to bring people together who are at odds with one another and attempt to reconcile these together to a place of harmony and non-conflict. You know, the Bible tells us in a couple different places about how wonderful peace is and that those who seek peace find some wonderful treasures. Psalm 133 verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, if you were to take and open that verse up, some of you may have in your Bibles, it is listed there. It says in parentheses, a song of degrees of David. Now, many times we'll just pass over the parentheses and we'll get to the rest of Scripture. But I think that is very important to understand the setting and the time in which David wrote this psalm. It is believed that when David wrote this psalm that he was getting ready to ascend the throne. He was leaving here his home area and was marching on with his people to the temple there at Jerusalem to the place where he would be. And as he is ascending to the throne, in David's mind he's cognizant of how all of the tribes of Israel still are isolated and splintered apart. And how amazing that when David takes the throne, you begin seeing over the course of his 40-year reign that those 12 tribes, though they've not forgotten their heritage and their family and their tribe, this nation becomes together as one under the king and ultimately under God as their king. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But there's another verse that is very helpful for us in understanding the principles of peacemaking. And that is Romans chapter 12, verse 18, where it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Notice the condition that is given. I love this. If it be possible. How many of you without a show of hands and yet in your heart you would testify to this? It's been hard to try to live peaceably with certain family members. It's been hard to live among certain neighbors. But you try, you attempt, and the Bible does recognize the fact that though you may try to be a peacemaker, there are some that will still walk with their arms folded. And there are some that will still frown upon you. And there are some that still don't want anything to do with you. But the Bible says, if it be possible, and as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Oh, how important that we understand the principle of peacemaking. That it is bringing together people that are at odds and now having harmony together. But now notice here the persons of peacemaking. Who are the people that are involved, you and me? I want you to notice as we would qualify this person who's a peacemaker, this is not somebody who just merely enjoys peace or promotes peace. This is not somebody who's a peace lover, a peace hoper, a peace eulogizer. 
This is not somebody who simply assumes that peace will come or it'll just happen. No, the Bible peacemaker is one who's involved in the process of peacemaking. They not only have a heart for peace and they have a heart for harmony, but they're prepared to suffer for the cause of peace. There are some today who, if they wrote the Beatitudes, might write this one this way. Blessed are the peace fakers, for they will get love from both sides. Or blessed are those who don't rock the boat, for they'll have a life made in the shade. Hmm. You see, Jesus is not calling us to a passive Christianity. When you look at these Beatitudes as we've studied them, Jesus here is calling us to action And that is of getting involved in bringing people together. Our world is full of people today who are very good at building fences and walls. We're all running to our corners. We're hurling rocks over into the other side. But Jesus calls us to tear down the fences and build bridges. You see, in order to bring people together, you need to be a bridge builder, not a wall builder and I believe that in order for that to happen here's the type of person that has to be you have to be first of all a person that is at peace with God that is you must know Jesus as your personal savior Romans chapter 5 verse number 1 listen to what this verse says therefore being justified by faith that is you've been born again because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible says that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ you know what happened the day that I got saved I be I got brought into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ you see before I was saved I was at enmity I was an enemy of God you say well preacher before I got saved I didn't put my fists up to God I didn't curse God no but the way that you lived was against God you lived in a way for this world and I want to tell you something being a rebel in sin the day that you got saved God broke down that wall and because of your faith in Jesus Christ you now have been brought into relationship with God and you have peace with God you see if you want to be a peacemaker today the first thing you must do is settle the war and the strife that's in your heart You must get out of the path of being a rebel against God and living life the way that you want to live it and get the issue settled with God and come into a relationship with Him. But the war doesn't stop there. Because sadly, when we get saved, we still have this old man, don't we? How many woke up with the old man or the old lady this morning? I'm sorry about that, ladies, but honestly, we have been given a new man in Jesus Christ, but we still have the old man. And the Bible talks about that struggle that we have in the Christian life. In fact, in the book of Galatians, we have what is called the fruit of the Spirit. As you yield to God, as you allow God to do a work in your life, guess what God begins to do in you? He begins to cultivate things like love and joy and peace. And I'm telling you, only God can do that. You may get up on a particular day and say, well, you know what? I'm going to be a peacemaker today. You can determine all you want to be a peacemaker, but unless you let God work in your life, it's probably not going to happen. 
God has to do a mighty work in your life and you have to be yielded to Him and then He'll begin producing that peace. But you know what's amazing in Galatians chapter 5? When you take the fruit of the Spirit, the verses before it list for us the works of the flesh. Now here's what's amazing. In fact, I wish I could turn there this morning. There are 17 works of the flesh that are listed. Eight of those have to do with things of conflict. In other words, they're facets of disunity. Listen to these. Hatred, variance, that's contentions. Emulations is the word for jealousies. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. All of those things are the work of the flesh. And those can be a part of my life, yes, as a Christian, when I give in to the flesh. Today you have a decision as a Christian. You have a decision to go ahead and decide you're going to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to produce that peace in you so you can be a peacemaker or you're going to live for the flesh and you're going to have all of the war and the strife that goes on in this world. The person's a peacemaker. But notice the practice of a peacemaker. There are many ways in which you and I can bring hostile parties together. Think with me for just a moment of where you're helping out to bring peace. It could be in your family. There's people that are splintered apart. It could be at work. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be at church. But may I say to you that every church and every Christian here today, there are two ways in which you can be a peacemaker. Number one is evangelism. When you go out and give the gospel, you are doing something wonderful in allowing people to be brought to peace with God. You remember the day that you got saved? You remember the work that God did in your life? You remember how things were before you got came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and the, the strife and the, the guilt and the anger and all the things that were on your life and God saved you and started doing a work in your life. I'm telling you, God wants to do that work with your neighbor. God wants to do that work with people here in Englewood. God wants to do that work with all the people around us here today. And as we give the gospel to people, we are sharing with them the good news and how they can be brought into a perfect, wonderful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, That you and I, who have been reconciled to God, guess what we have now is a ministry of reconciliation. That's you. If you're saved today, your ministry, you say, well, preacher, my ministry is working the nursery. Or my ministry is helping to do this. Or my ministry is this. No, all of us have a, a ministry of reconciliation, of getting the gospel out there. When you share the good news of Jesus Christ, you are giving people an opportunity to be brought into a relationship with their Father in heaven. What a wonderful thing it is. But second practice of a peacemaker is that of edification. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I like that word, endeavoring. 
When you endeavor to do the following, you are involved in edifying others and maintaining the peace of the body of Christ. In other words, any person who gets up to preach and teach the Word of God, you know what they're doing? They're instructing people on how to stay right with God. You're helping people how to have this proper relationship with God and not be in conflict with Him. If you take the opportunity within a local church to restore another believer who has fallen in sin, you know what you've done? You've edified the body as a whole by bringing this one back into the fold. Peacemaking. If at each service, instead of just plopping down in the pew and reading through the bulletin, though that's a good thing to do and our office manager would much appreciate you reading through the bulletin. But if you would take time and go around and encourage other people and lift other people's spirits and enjoy being around and help others, guess what you're involved in? You're involved in the business of being a peacemaker. But I love what it says in verse number 9. Look at this. He says here, blessed are the peacemakers. Now here's the promise. The promise to peacemakers is, for they shall be called the children of God. The word children is a very interesting word. It's really translated as the word son. And it's this idea of a son who is the partaker of the character of another. I love to look at children and find out who their parents are. And a lot of times I'll go, oh yeah, there's no denying that child right there. Either mama or daddy looks like that child. I mean, you can see in the facial features. And and then as they get older, they begin acting like their parents. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's the behavior of mom right there. That's the behavior of dad. And we notice here that a child will take after the character of their parent. You know what God is saying here is the fact that God is a God of peace. And if you take on the ministry of being a peacemaker, guess whose character you take on? It's God's. You're just like God. In fact, do me a favor and look at Matthew chapter 5, same chapter. Go all the way down to verse number 43. Notice what he says here. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now notice verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. As you and I go along in this world and minister peace, people are going to figure out you're somebody different. They're going to see it in your faces. They're going to hear it in your speech. They're going to feel it in the hugs that you give. And when you flooded that world around you with the peace that is something that is overflowing from your heart, then I'm telling you, people are going to notice something different so those who are peacemakers show their relationship to christ are you with me here this morning give me a hearty amen all right notice here verses 10 to 12 those who lose what they cannot keep will gain what they cannot lose just kind of a little synopsis here of what jim elliott wrote many years ago notice this aspect in verses 10 through 12 A couple of different times, three different times, I believe, the word persecute is used. Persecute. Persecution. In 2022, there were were reports from a particular Christian organization that said these words. 
persecution of Christians has reached the highest levels, and that was since they had began accumulating data for their annual world watch list three decades ago. Hostile incidents have increased by 20% since 2014. Some 360 million Christians, or 14% of the worldwide total, are said to have faced persecution, harassment, or discrimination. Every month around our world, 345 Christians are killed for their faith-based for faith-based reasons. 105 churches are burned or attacked. 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. That's every month. Now notice what he says here in these verses. I want you to notice the manifestation of peace. It seems to indicate in these verses that those that take on the characteristics of the Beatitudes and become godly people are the ones who become targets of persecution. You see, Jesus is not saying that everybody who's persecuted is going to receive the blessing that Jesus wants to give. I hate to say it, but there are many who are persecuted because of their own stupidity. There are many who are persecuted because of poor decisions that they've made. There are many who tout their political views and they go, well, look at me, I've been persecuted on Facebook and because I stand up for this view and for that view. No, no, Jesus is not talking, you stand up for your political views. Jesus is not telling you that uh, you'll receive the rewards if you stand up for being a vegetarian or for this particular aspect. Now, I want you to notice here, he gives a promise for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those who hunger and thirst, remember that beatitude a couple weeks ago? Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, that's the aspect here. I believe that for righteousness' sake is those who begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they begin living godly lives. I'm going to tell you, that godly life will all of a sudden go at odds with those that are around you who don't want to live a godly life. And they'll start persecuting you, making fun of you, saying things about you that are not true because why? They don't like the way that you live. But notice at the end of verse number 11, it also mentions not just for righteousness' sake, but it says here, because of Jesus' sake, In other words, taking on the name of Jesus. Oh, go ahead and mention Buddha. Go ahead and mention these gods. Go ahead and mention these religions. Go ahead and mention all these other things. But stand up for Jesus and watch the crowd start turning on you. It's amazing. I'm going to tell you something today. Persecution is bound to come in our lives, even here in America. Note the end of verse number 12 where he says that they persecuted the prophets which before you. He's basically saying, I want to tell you something, persecution is going to come because this is the way that it's always been. If you read through the Old Testament and you read about the prophets in the Old Testament, these guys weren't lauded by everybody in Israel. They weren't given extra gifts. They weren't given certain positions within government because, oh, we like these guys and we like the fact that they're telling us the way God says it should be in our country. No, no. 
the prophets were persecuted. But you know, when Jesus came on this earth, now you think to yourself, all right, the Son of God, the one who left all of glory, who came to this earth so he could die on the cross, surely they'll recognize him. They'll love him. But no, what did Jesus say? They persecuted me. And if they've persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, some of us, when we think about persecution, we think to ourselves, well, you know, that person called me a nasty name because I'm a Christian. Or I went out and knocked on doors and somebody slammed the door in my face. That's persecution. I want to tell you something. That may be a certain realm, a small dose of persecution in your own heart. But I want to tell you what Jesus is talking about is that there may be persecution coming on to a greater extent in this nation that we call a so-called Christian nation, but persecution may come because you decide to live godly, because you stand up for Jesus Christ. Look around at what's going on in our nation. Look at how the mob going for evil and how the people are standing against and they're opposed to the Bible and they're opposed to the Christian values that we hold so dearly. And yet persecution will come. You know, the Apostle Paul was told that he was going to be persecuted. Imagine in Acts chapter 9, in fact, I invite you later to look at it. The Apostle Paul gets saved. And a man by Ananias is told to go see him. And Ananias sits down before Saul and basically says, look, here's the word of the Lord that you're to be a missionary, basically, I'm paraphrasing, you're going to go to the Gentiles and, oh, by the way, you are going to suffer for my namesake. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard that, I said, whoa, 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 hold on just a second. I mean, look, I don't mind going telling the gospel. I don't mind uh, sharing a few things about what God did for me, but you tell me I'm going to be persecuted? But we find no hesitation about the Apostle Paul. We find nothing through the book of Acts of his ministry that nothing stopped him. Go ahead and beat him and leave him for dead. Go ahead and stone him. Go ahead and place him in prison. Go ahead and see him out on a ship and, and shipwrecked and, and think to yourself, all right, we're done with that guy. But nothing stopped the Apostle Paul because he had a mission to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he stood for Christ all through it. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, notice here, the method of persecution that's given in these verses. Verse number 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. That is, they defame or disgrace by abusive language or heavy criticism. Notice here, they say all manner of evil against you falsely. Oh, they're going to drum up all sorts of charges. They're going to accuse things of you that probably aren't even true. And again, may I remind you that people all through the Scriptures were persecuted for doing right. Daniel was persecuted for doing right. Here's a man that all he wanted to do was pray to his God. 
And when they wrote a law that anybody that prayed to any other god than the god that was worshipped in that nation, they'd be thrown in the lion's den. And what did Daniel do? Did Daniel go ahead and close his windows, get into his closet, close the door and say, I hope nobody sees me and I'll pray to God? No, no. Daniel got out, opened up the windows and knelt down before God and prayed. And because of that, he was thrown in the lion's den. Wow. The apostles in the book of Acts... You find them being persecuted. And I'm going to tell you here today that you're going to find persecution when you stand up for what is right. When you, as a child of God, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you begin living out the principles of the Word of God in your life. You're going to go ahead and rub the cat the wrong way in your areas. If you're going to be an honest person, you're going to find a lot of cheaters around you. And it might be that some of you might need to go ahead and say something about cheating that's going on. And I'm telling you, you may find persecution, but guess what you're doing? You're standing up for what's right. You might be at work, and there's people who talk negatively about you. They gossip about you. They, they go ahead and have all these parties and get drunk after work and they practice dishonesty. And they resent you because you don't get involved in everything that they do. But because you stand for what's right and because you are keeping a clear testimony, you are being harassed. Some in their work get passed over for promotion. Some even get let go. But I'm telling you, that's the persecution that may come along because you stand for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand for righteousness. I tell you, the disciples found it. Oh, you look through the book of Acts and these people found themselves being persecuted. I'm going to tell you where else you'll get persecuted. You go ahead and say Jesus is the only way of salvation. And I emphasize that word only. Oh, come on. You mean to tell me that Jesus is the only way? Come on now. I can get to heaven by doing this. I can get to heaven through that particular church. I can get to heaven by following this particular creed. And when you quote verses like Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and many other passages of Scripture where Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life, people will start persecuting you. But I'm telling you, no matter how the persecution comes along, it doesn't change the Word of God. It doesn't change the truth of the Bible. This book is still accurate in everything it says. So notice the manifestation of persecution, the method of it. But notice here the mood of those persecuted. I love this. He says in verse 12, would you read that word with me? Rejoice. Say it a little bit louder. Rejoice. Now, when you get persecuted, what do you want to do? You want to seek revenge, don't you? You want to retaliate and say, you know what, I may be a Christian, but I'm no Matt that's going to get walked on. And I'm going to fix them. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're not called to seek revenge. You're not called to get in the corner and cry and 
soak in self-pity over the persecution that you're facing. Instead, you are to rejoice and be glad. In fact, not just be glad, but be exceeding glad. I love this. The word rejoice has to do with a feeling inside of delight. When a person is being persecuted on the outside, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ from the inside, begins doing a work of grace in that heart, and they begin showing that person that you're my child, you're standing for me, you're doing what is right. And then this idea of being exceeding glad, guess what it means, ready, look up here, here's what exceeding glad is. Now, come on, how many of you have done that at a game? I mean, you've jumped for joy. A home run is hit. A touchdown is scored. And you jump. I'm telling you, Jesus said the mood that you ought to have is that inside there's a work that God's doing and outside you jump for joy because of what's going on. Now, you say, preacher, you're you're kind of exaggerating that. All right? Let me take you to the book of Acts for just a moment. You remember in Acts chapter 5 when uh, leading up to that point, John and Peter and the other apostles were told, don't preach in Jesus' name. And they kept out and preaching in Jesus' name. So the local authorities thought, okay, these people didn't hear us, so we're going to call them in. And they threatened them. Don't preach in Jesus' name. What did they do? They went out and they still preach in Jesus' name. The local authorities said, all right, they didn't get it. They brought them in and the Bible says that they beat them. And you know what Acts 4, 5, 41 says? It says that these apostles went out, and I love this, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow. How about another example? You know this one. Acts chapter 16, in the city of Philippi, Paul and his associate Silas are beaten badly. I can picture, though the Bible doesn't describe it, but these sores, because it does talk about that the Philippian jailer began to uh, help them with the sores that were on their back, how they had been beaten. But here's Paul and Silas in jail. Now, if it were me, and it probably if it were you, we'd be over in the corner like this. I can't believe this. God's so mean to me. Why is this all happening? Or maybe we might be in this corner getting a little bitter and angry against God because we didn't sign up for this type of life. But in Acts chapter 16, you read about Paul and Silas. They got into jail and it says that they were praying and singing. Interesting. How many of you would sing after you got beaten? How many of you would be praying? But that was such a testimony that when God broke open that whole jail, that Philippian jailer who had heard the singing and heard the praising, 
said, I want what you have. I want that. Now notice the motives. There's a reward that is promised. Verse number 12. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, I I believe that this reward that is spoken about is not only something that is going to be in heaven. Notice here, it's not so much the reward, but it's the aspect of someday when we're in heaven that what we suffered for the cause of Christ, that God is going to be pleased and and we're going to enjoy heaven. But I'm telling you, there's something about here and now. We might think to ourselves, look, I don't want suffering because it's going to isolate me and it's going to put me out of the limelight and it's going to hurt me and it's going to affect my, my whole uh, community and my, my own life and my family. But I'm telling you, if you read of people in our Christian history over the last couple thousand years who have been persecuted... You know what the testimony of many of them, all of them really is? In those times where I was persecuted, God met with me in such a real way. In fact, I was reading this week. I did not include it in my notes. It was about a man in Scotland a couple of hundred years ago who had been persecuted for his faith and beaten so badly. And he spent about six months in jail. But when he got out... He took one day of fasting. Even though for the six months he had barely eaten anything and had been in a nasty, smelly jail with rats and everything else running through it, but yet he took and fasted because he said, those six months were some of the best times that I had with God. And I don't want to miss out on that going forward. I'm telling you, you get persecuted. You stand up for what's right. God will meet with you and His grace will be upon you. His love will be showered over you. be tremendous things. As I close this morning, I want you to notice that there's such a progression really with these Beatitudes. Notice here, there's a poor in spirit. You must start off here with a humility. They who mourn, there must be a, a recognition of the sin in your life and the sin around you. As you begin living for Jesus, there has to be a gentleness in your life in such a way of being meek that your whatever things come your way, you're recognizing it's from God. You've got to hunger and thirst after righteousness. There has got to be mercy that is shown. You've got to live pure in heart, be pure peacemakers. And when you find yourself persecuted, I'm telling you there's a great reward that God has available for you. I read recently about the actor, and I think if I pronounce his name right, Caviezel, Jim Caviezel. He played the role of Jesus in the film years ago, The Passion of the Christ. And really, this whole thing, playing that particular role, he admitted that that had actually seriously limited his career And in essence, his own words had rejected, he had been rejected in his own industry. Caviezel says he was warned by the film's director, Mel Gibson, that this could have been a possibility. 
And Caviezel said that everybody's got to take their own crosses. And it's amazing, he said, how he could go ahead and, and uh, take on this role of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the persecution comes his way. Nothing's changed in Christianity. Nothing's changed in our world. You may not play Jesus, but you tell others about Jesus. You live for Jesus. You show the principles of Jesus in your life, and you'll find persecution come your way. There's a story told about a man by the name of Telemachus. He was a Christian who lived in the 4th century, and he decided to go to Rome. So he put all his possessions in a sack, and he set out for that large city. And when he arrived in the city... People were thronging in the streets. He asked about what all the excitement was, and they told him that this day there was going to be some gladiators that were gathered in the Colosseum, and they would be fighting and killing each other there. And so he ran to the Colosseum and heard the gladiators saying, Hail to Caesar! We die for Caesar! This man who had been part of a church actually thought to himself, Well, this isn't right. He found a way that he could jump over the railing and he got out into the middle there of the Colosseum where the gladiators would come together and he began to hold up his hands and say, In the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd protested and they began to shout, Run through him! Rush him through! The gladiator came over and hit him in the stomach with the back of his sword and it sent him sprawling in the sand. He got up and ran back again, and he said, In the name of Christ, forbear! The crowd continued to chant, Run him through! One other gladiator came through and plunged his sword through this man's stomach, and he fell into the sand, and the sand around him began to turn red from the blood of this man. One last time he gasped out, In the name of Christ, forbear! And for whatever reason, 80,000 people that were in that Colosseum, there was a hush that came about. Every man that was standing to his feet already began to empty out of the seats there and began to go out quietly out of the arena. And it is said, this was the last known gladiator contest in the history of Rome. A man who is willing to stand for what was right and seek peace and share the truth of who Jesus was, not hail to Caesar, but hail to Jesus Christ. And for that he gave his life. You say, did it make a difference? I mean, look at he his life was gone, but I'm telling you, it made a difference for the cause of Christ. I want to ask our heads bowed, please, and 